Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do celebrate you tonight. We rejoice in you. There's no other name like your name. The name of grace, the name of salvation, the name of living hope. And as we come and spend time in your word tonight, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would open up our hearts. We pray that you would send your spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. We pray that you would provide refreshment and conviction and challenge, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Redemption is such a powerful work of God. When his hand of redemption comes upon our life, we really cannot begin to put a price tag on that. We're going to see redemption in two aspects uh, tonight. We're going to see God redeeming sexual sin. Chapter 38 is just filled with sexual sin, and it has a surprise ending of God's uh, redemption. And then in chapter 39, we see God's redemption on a very difficult situation in Joseph's life. So God is into redeeming situations. He's into redeeming sin in our lives and causing us to turn to him and him pouring out his grace in our lives. We began the life of Joseph. Joseph being the favorite of his father, the golden boy, if you would. He's sold as a slave by his brothers. His brothers betray him. But then there's this pause in the book of Genesis. You would picture the narrative just continuing with Joseph's life, but it takes a sidetrack and focuses on Judah and Tamar. And as we'll see tonight, these chapters really do contrast each other because Judah fails in sexual integrity and Joseph walks in sexual purity. So let's begin our journey in verse 1 of chapter 8. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So Judah decides he's going to leave his brothers, leave the, the fellowship of the people of God. Remember, they're strangers, they're foreigners in this land of Canaan, and the Canaanites don't know the Lord. It's a very pagan culture. So he's leaving the fellowship of the family of God, of his own family, and he's going to find friendship and relationship amongst the Canaanites, uh, amongst Hira, the Dumamite. It's about 15 miles northwest of Hebron, where his family was living. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her, and he went into her. So he marries a Canaanite. If you remember, this was a big deal to Abraham. Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac and encouraged Isaac to not marry the Canaanites. Isaac was concerned of the same thing for Jacob. And here Judah, he doesn't take into account this person's character, this woman's character, if she knows the one true or living God, he's attracted to her and he decides to marry her, it's going to have a big consequence upon his family. Paul puts it this way, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So if you're single and you're praying about getting married, physical attraction is real. I do recommend that you marry someone that you're attracted to, right? God has designed it that way, but in addition to physical attraction, you want to be seeing, do they love the Lord, and do they have godly character? In verse 3, so she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chizib when she bore him. So right away, three sons, my three sons. Judah and his wife have three boys. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So Ur, the oldest, gets married and gets married to Tamar. We don't know a lot about Tamar, but we assume that she is a Canaanite as well because she's from this region and so it would make sense that she is a Canaanite and she marries Judah's oldest son, Ur. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. Be nice to have a little bit more details than that. We don't know what his wickedness was. We don't know what he'd done. 
but we do know that his wickedness was in the sight of the Lord. Proverbs 5.21 says, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders his path. So God saw this wickedness that Ur was doing. Some read this and go, man, God is so brutal that he would kill Ur. But remember that wickedness is contagious and God's judgment upon wickedness is an expression of his mercy. God is protecting those that are going to be impacted by Ur's wickedness. Now, buckle up because the story gets real interesting from this point uh, forward. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. So this was custom. This was tradition. If a brother died, then it was a responsibility of the next oldest brother to marry the widow of his brother to have children and carry on the name for the deceased brother. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses would actually put this in the law of God. Thankfully, we're under the grace of God and the law of God, not the law of God. I love my brother, but if I were to die, I would not want him marrying Amber, right? So, so this is the way that this would go in the Old Testament. And so Judah says to Onan, it's your responsibility to marry Tamar. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. So God has killed two of Judah's three sons. Now some have looked at this verse to try to build a case of why you shouldn't practice family planning and birth control and those types of things. But it's not an issue about family planning, it's an issue about selfishness here. Onan is in a place where he's being selfish. He's not wanting to fulfill a responsibility that had been given to him by his father, but he wanted the sexual gratification. And it was because of that selfishness that the Lord killed him. So can you imagine for Tamar? Here she is, a young gal. She gets married to a wicked guy. God kills him. The next brother that she has to marry is not that great, and God kills him. I'm sure she had the reputation in the community as being a black widow, right? In verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he will also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So he's saying, look, why don't you just go back to your father's house and then when the youngest gets old enough to marry... I'll go ahead and let you marry him. Wink, wink, wink. Judah had no intention of letting Tamar marry his youngest son. He's like, she's already had damage on two sons. Wasn't her fault, but that's how he's seeing it. And he's not about ready to give the youngest to Tamar. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. Judah's going to get himself in trouble, in sexual sin in Timnah. Can you think of someone else who got himself in sexual sin in Timnah? Samson. Samson as well, in the same place in Timnah. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given to him as wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way. Tamar takes things into her own hands. She realizes, okay, Judah's not going to allow me to marry the youngest. I'm going to be stuck in widowhood the rest of my life. Here goes my father-in-law. He's headed out to tend to the sheep. It's sheep shearing time. And he's headed out with his, his friend, the Adulamite Hira. So this is my opportunity to disguise myself as a harlot. The telltale sign was to veil yourself as her face was covered, was marking herself as a harlot. What stands out to me about this 
is she knew the character of her father-in-law. Isn't that interesting? She knew that most likely Judah would stop on this road and solicit a prostitute. This was her chance to get pregnant. This was her chance, in a sense, to get her father-in-law back. Why would she go out and disguise herself as a harlot if she didn't think there was a good chance that Judah would stop off and engage in sexual sin? Here's the truth, is your family knows your sexual integrity or your lack thereof. Deep down, your spouse knows if you walk in sexual integrity or you don't. If you can be trusted or you can't. Your kids know your sexual integrity or your lack thereof. We think we can hide it. Judah probably thought he could hide it from his family, but here his daughter-in-law knows exactly the character of her father-in-law in this area. So he turns off in verse 16, then he turned to her by the way. Sexual sin always involves a turning, a turning from the Lord, a turning from the responsibilities that you have for that given day. Here he is headed to go tend to the sheep, to take care of the sheep, but then he sees a harlot and he turns and he decides to engage in sexual sin. It's a turning towards that inappropriate relationship. It's a turning towards that uh, pornography. And he decides to enter into the sexual sin and said, please let me come into you. For he didn't know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So he begins to solicit this prostitute, and he has no idea that it is his daughter-in-law. And there's so much that is unknown with sexual sin. God says that nothing is going to be hidden, and a lot of people think, I'm going to get away with this, but there's something that someone else knows that they don't think about. And God has a way of saying, look, I'm going to expose this sin because I care for you, I love you. In verse 17, and he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? I don't have any money on me. I'll send you a goat. Well, how do I know you're going to send the goat? You need to give a pledge. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that's in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. This is a well thought through plan by Tamar. She says, there's three things that I want as a pledge. Your signet. Now, now your signet would be a stamp that you would place. And that was your seal. It had everything to do with your identity. It's kind of the idea of our, our signature today. So the signet would have his person. It would represent his identity, his authority. The cord, this necklace that would wear that would hold the signet would be a sign of your possessions. If you had a really nice cord or necklace, it was showing that your wealth. So we've got his person, we've got his possessions, and then we have his staff. His staff represented his position, his position in his family. So he is compromising his person, his position, and his possessions. All of this is handed over to Tamar, who he believes is a harlot. What does sexual sin cost? Is there a cost that comes with sexual sin? Proverbs 6 says, For by a means of a harlot, a man's reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Yet when he's found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonors will he get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. In Judah's mind, he's thinking, my wife has passed away. Here's this opportunity to engage in sexual sin. I'm going to get away with it. If he were walking in wisdom, he would have thought about this prior, wouldn't he? He's so ready to hand over his signet. 
so ready to hand over his cord, so, so ready to hand over his staff. Have you ever heard the phrase that sin makes us stupid? It's absolutely true, and especially true with sexual sin. Sexual sin makes us stupid, and it's amazing what we're willing to hand over in that moment of, of temptation. I'm willing to put it all at risk. I'm willing to put it all out on the line for this one moment of, of satisfaction. And there's a definite cost that, that comes with sexual sin. In verse 19, so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. So Hira the Adulamite is not a good friend. If you've got a friend that's going to encourage you in sexual sin, that's going to go pay off the prostitute for you, that's not a friend you want to be hanging out with. In verse 21, then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where's the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed, for I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. There's no way he's going to try to track down his signet, his cord, and his staff. He's like, well, we've got to let it go because we don't want to be shamed. We don't want this sexual sin to be made known. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by, the har- by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Oh, man. Sin looks so much worse on somebody else, doesn't it? And here, he's so quick to say, go get her, let's burn her. She's with child. She's 12 weeks pregnant. The child dies as well. He knows his own sin. Nobody else knows his sin at this point, but he's so ready to pour out judgment. When we're really angry at someone else's sin, a lot of times it's an indicator of the sin in our own lives. In verse 25, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I'm with child. And she said, please determine who these are, the signet and cord and staff. It's quite the text message right here, (laughs) right? Who, Who do these belong to? Whoever owns these is the one that has gotten me pregnant. He's busted. Judah is busted. The moment that he is feared has come to be. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. So he owns it at this point. He owns it at this point. Would have been much better for Judah to one walk in sexual integrity two to confess before he was busted before he was exposed verse 17 now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold twins were in her womb and so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying this one came out first. So the scarlet thread was to mark the oldest. And this was a big deal because the oldest had the birthright. The spiritual blessing and responsibility was put upon the oldest. And so he gets the scarlet thread because his hand came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez, or, or breach, or to break through. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So Perez and Zerah are born. Zerah is the oldest, and Perez is breakthrough, the, the breach. Now, what is so amazing about this moment in Scripture this, this moment of a dark reality of sexual sin is Judah is going to bring about the lineage of Jesus Christ through this relationship with Tamar. As you look in Matthew chapter 1, and I would encourage you to write it down, is we see Judah 
his relationship with Tamar mentioned, and that she had these two boys, Perez and Zerah. Then the line of Perez is followed to Ruth, another Canaanite. And then from Ruth through her husband Boaz to David, and then David to Jesus Christ. Jesus is referred to, he identifies himself as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in the midst of this sexual sin, we see God's redemption. We say God saying, it is for sinners like this that I'm sending my son. It's no coincidence, it's no accident that there's a scarlet thread that is tied upon Zerah. And though Perez is the one that the lineage goes through, that scarlet thread points to the blood of Jesus, where his blood was shed from his wrists to purify us from, yes, sexual sin, to forgive us from all types of sin. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There's another scarlet cord in the scriptures When the spies come into the promised land, they take refuge in a harlot's home, not for sex, but to not be found out by the Canaanites. She hides the spies, and the spies say, you're going to be saved when we take Jericho. When we're here to conquer this city, what did she need to do? Take a scarlet rope, a red rope, and throw it out of her window. Again, coincidence, what is it, a scarlet thread, a scarlet rope? No, it was pointing to Christ. Christ, through his shed blood, provides grace for Tamar, provides grace for Judah, provides grace for Rahab, where she could be part of the lineage of Christ. We live in a culture that's very similar to the Canaanites, that Canaanites were a very promiscuous, sexually charged culture, and unfortunately, our culture is the same way. And some of you may be saying, is there redemption for my sexual sin? As we're reading through this, you began to feel heavy and feel weight and say, man, I wish that I wouldn't have messed up in this area. And I'm experiencing consequence of of sexual sin in my life. Could there be redemption? Absolutely. Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus came to die for our sexual sin. And he loves us enough to be the sacrifice to where we're forgiven from sexual sin. And with sexual sin, there's this weight that we carry. Could God forgive me? And the blood of Jesus is enough to be able to forgive us. And good news is the blood of Jesus is also powerful enough to transform us to where we no longer have to live in sexual sin. So there's redemption providing forgiveness and there's transformation for a new way of life. Remember when Jesus was talking with the woman who was caught in adultery? The law says she has to be condemned. The law says she has to be stoned. But Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Now go your way and sin no more. And that's the message of Christ. He forgives us and he empowers us to say, now go your way and sin no more. Don't stay in this place any longer. Sometimes in our culture, it's difficult for us to believe that there can be victory over sexual sin, and there absolutely can through Christ. He is calling us to live in sexual integrity. Why? Because he knows that it's best for us, and it brings him glory. God's plan of sexuality, where a man and a woman commit to each other inside of the commitment of marriage and enjoy sex inside of that union is God's best plan. So if you're single, the Lord doesn't want you to have sex before marriage. He wants you to commit tonight to his design, no matter what your past is. For those of us that are married, he wants you to only have sex inside of your marriage. That's where it's going to be healthy. That's where it's going to bring forth life. God does not want us as believers to be in a place where we're looking at and engaging in pornography. Because sexual sin also involves the heart, doesn't it? Jesus said if you look after a woman in your heart then you have already committed adultery. You've lusted after her. As we're going to see in this next chapter, lust is not just a male problem. 
Potiphar's wife is in a place of lust after Joseph. She sees Joseph and she's lusting after him. Now, do men struggle with yet lust? Yes. But do women struggle with lust as well? Yes. And so it's saying, seeing God's design, seeing that God has created it to be beautiful and say, Lord, I'm choosing to live inside of your design. So stay tuned because we've seen a bad example and now we see a good example in Joseph. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him down there. So Joseph is now sold as a slave to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard. He has a very powerful position in the Pharaoh's kingdom. I just find it interesting that it was the Ishmaelites who sold Joseph as a slave. Remember, Abraham's relationship with Hagar resulted in Ishmael, his descendants, the Ishmaelites. And the Lord was with Joseph. Underline that. Four times in this chapter, we're going to see the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence could not be stolen from Joseph, even though he's a slave. Even though he's a slave in Potiphar's house, it could not take the Lord away from him. The Lord was with him. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. This is fascinating because God is with Joseph and is supernaturally blessing him to where his pagan boss can see that it was the Lord's blessing, but also we find Joseph being faithful. So Joseph did not just kick back and go, well, I'm a slave, so I'm not going to apply myself. He doesn't find himself so overwhelmed with discouragement God gave me these dreams. These dreams seem like they're never going to come true. He had to learn a new language. He's completely taken away from his family. He's 17 years old. He has the character in the midst of that adversity to say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to do my work under the Lord as a slave. And in the midst of that faithfulness, the Lord was with him and blessed him to where Potiphar could see God's hand of blessing upon him. Do you feel like a slave? Does your situation go, man, I might as well be a slave. My daily routine is such a grind. I am sick of it, right? The Lord is with you. Just like the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord is with you. There's redemption over sexual sin, and there's also redemption in our circumstance. Be faithful to the Lord. Decide, I'm going to get up every day and whatever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly under the glory of God and be faithful in the place that God has put me and watch the Lord work in the midst of that and watch the Lord give grace and give you favor. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. All that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house And all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands. And he didn't know what he had except for the bread which he ate. This is amazing. Amazing. Here he is, a slave. And yet he's so trusted that his master, Potiphar, puts everything in his charge where he doesn't even know what he has. He doesn't know what he has in the bank. He doesn't know what investments he has or doesn't have. All he knows is what he's going to eat and the bread that he's going to eat. And I think Joseph made sure that that was pretty good as well, right? And this shows the, the faithfulness of Joseph and the favor of God. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was a good-looking lad, strong young man. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said to him, lie with me. So she's lusting after Joseph. She sees this young man, this Hebrew slave, and she's casting the longing eyes at him and saying, come lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master doesn't know what he, 
My master does not know what is with me in the house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house that I, nor he, has kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He doesn't want to betray his master. He says, master's trusted everything to me. Potter's put everything in my hands except for you, because... You're his wife. But even more so, his motivation was, I don't want to sin against God. Joseph walked in the fear of the Lord. He walked in the thereness of God. He knew that God was with him. He knew that God was watching his actions and the attitude of his heart. What is our motivation for sexual integrity? What's the why behind sexual integrity? The why may be, I don't want to hurt my spouse, and that's good. The why may be, I don't want to hurt my kids, and, and, and that's good. The, the why may be, well, sexual integrity is going to add benefit to my, my life. That's good. But the ultimate why for sexual integrity is not that it's the fear of the Lord. It's, I don't want to sin against God. That's where Joseph was at in his place when it came to his sexual integrity. He realized if he were to do this, he would be sinning against the Lord. And that's what we need to see when it comes to, to sexual sin. Sexual sin has everything to do with our relationship with God. You might say, well, it's my own problem. I'm not hurting anyone else. Well, that's not true. You're sinning against God and, and you're hurting others. And he didn't want to sin against the Lord. Joseph didn't come to this point in this moment, in this season of temptation because it wasn't just one day and hit it out of the park. He had been walking with the Lord, walking in integrity, choosing the fear of the Lord, choosing the respect of the Lord. And then when the temptation came, he had already decided, he had already determined I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. When I'm faced with sexual temptation, I am choosing the Lord. We're preparing now for the temptation that's going to come in the future. Does that make sense? You're preparing right now. The victory isn't pulled out of the hat. The victory was prepared as Joseph was walking with the Lord. In verse 10, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. So this is happening every day. And Joseph can't quit his job. He's a slave. He's stuck with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And every day she's like, come on, lie with me. But he refuses day by day to lie with her. And sometimes we feel that we're bombarded with sexual temptation every day because of what's in the media, because what's on movies, because how pornography is used to try to lure people in. Well, good news. Joseph was tempted every day and said no every day. So we can't blame the internet, right? And granted, I understand how dark and evil it is. But sometimes I think for us as believers in this day and age, we forfeit ourselves to defeat then we assume that believers have to look at pornography. Well, the temptation is so great on the internet that, well, we're just, that's just the way it's going to be. Christians are going to engage in pornography. Our young people are just going to engage in pornography. That, that's the way it is. And basically what we're saying is Potiphar's wife has won. There's always been a Potiphar's wife out there, guys. There's always been sexual sin out there. There's always been someone to, to come and knock on the door every day and say, look, take the bait, take the bait, take the bait. And this is an encouragement for us. Joseph rises up off of the pages of scripture and he encourages us, it can be done. It can be done. You, you can say no to Potiphar's wife through relationship with the Lord through the grace of God that empowers us to be able to say, no, it's being thrown in my face day by day, but I'm choosing to say no through God's strength and through his help. 
But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. You just want to cheer Joseph at this point, right? You're like, yeah, way to go, man. He just ran. He got out of there. What Joseph didn't do is go, I clearly see that your marriage is struggling. Let's sit down and talk about it, right? He doesn't do that. He decides to flee sexual temptation. And this is God's answer when it comes to sexual temptation as you run as fast as you can and you get away from sexual temptation. In 1 Corinthians six eighteen, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Flee sexual immorality. Paul writes to Timothy, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, and love peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it's not just what we're fleeing, but it's also what we're following. Flee lusts and pursue all of these things of God with those who call upon the name of the Lord. So is your heart starting to go in the wrong direction with someone who's not your spouse? What do you do? Do you say, I can handle friendship? I'm a mature adult. This is no problem for me. I got this sexual temptation thing under wraps and we can be just friends. Lie from the pit of hell. Flee, run. Don't hang out with that person. You know that you are being tempted. If pornography is a difficulty, do not be surfing online late at night when you're tired. Run for your life. Delilah's trying to get you, right? The woman of folly is is trying to get you. Make a wise choice and say, I've got to flee. I've got to run from sexual immorality. Be proactive and say, I need to be careful with who I share my heart with. Most of the time, relationships begin with sharing the heart. And you're sharing your heart with someone you shouldn't be because they're not your spouse, and before long you're climbing up the emotional ladder that leads to sexual sin. When I was getting married, I was asking my dad about his own sexual integrity, and I said, Dad, have have you done in this area? I knew the answer, but I wanted to hear it from him. And he gave me some advice, and he said, I'm really careful with what I share with, with women who aren't your mom. At work, I don't go around sharing my heart with ladies at work. I don't share my joys and share my struggles. I save that for your mom. Because he knew, he was wise enough to know that what happens when you share your heart and you're moving up those emotional ladders. You even have to be careful inside of good friendships inside of the body of Christ. So many times adultery takes place with two couples that are best friends. Husband and wife and husband and wife, they're all believers. They do everything together. They share their hearts together. And somewhere the wires get crossed and they start thinking, man, it would be better to be with them instead of to be with my spouse. For those of you that are single, be careful, right? Understand, do the dating wisely and ask for God's strength. Say, I'm gonna swim against culture and choose sexual integrity in the midst of of dating. If you're dating someone that uses this line that says, well, if you love me, you'll have sex with me, say, you know what? Well, if you love me, you'll wait until we're married for us to have have sex uh, together. But flee, flee. Get on your Nikes and run. Don't just do it, right? (laughs) Choose sexual integrity. Choose to honor God in this. I want to stop for just a moment here and try to give a picture of the magnitude of this in Scripture. Because so many people in Scripture, we see a lot of their flaws and shortcomings, which we're so thankful for because it lets us know the grace of God and the the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And there's very few in Scripture 
where we don't see any shortcomings listed. It doesn't mean that Joseph didn't have them. It doesn't mean that Joseph wasn't a sinner, but he really does stand out amongst Scripture as he walked in integrity. And Daniel is the other. And both of them are tremendously used by God, tremendously used by the Lord. What's at stake with your sexual integrity, with our sexual integrity? It's the calling that God has upon your life. And no matter where you've been, remember, we just talked about redemption with with sexual sin. The blood of Jesus covers, the blood of Jesus provides forgiveness. But choose now to walk in sexual integrity because it has everything to do with your future. You want to stand out in this world is choose sexual integrity. Choose to say, I'm not going to engage in pornography. I'm going to engage in the relationships the way that God intended and the way that God desired. In verse 13, and so it was when she saw that she had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Lust quickly turns to attack when you don't get what you want. Potiphar's wife is operating in lust. She doesn't get what she wants and she turns against Joseph and blames Joseph of attempting to rape her. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. So this is not what Potiphar expected to hear when he came home from work, and he's obviously irate. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Remember, Potiphar was the captain of the guard. This is easy. I'm I'm going to throw him into prison. But let's think about this a little bit deeper. It's possible, possible, not certain, but possible that Potiphar didn't fully believe his wife's story. Why? Because he would have killed Joseph. Joseph's a slave. Rape is capital punishment even for an Egyptian. So if he believes his wife, at this point, Joseph's just dead. But he doesn't kill Joseph. He puts Joseph in prison. So it may be that he didn't fully believe his wife, but here's Joseph in prison. Here he is in prison. Now he's just seen God's blessing upon Potiphar's house because of God's favor upon his life, but now he finds himself in a worse position than being a slave. He goes from being a slave to now being in prison. Sometimes we believe a lie that if we walk with the Lord, that it means everything's going to go our way. Or if we walk in sexual integrity, that everything's going to go our way. Now, did Joseph ever regret walking in sexual integrity? No. Did it mean everything in his relationship with the Lord? Yes. Was God faithful in his life? Yes. Did his sexual integrity mean that he got falsely accused? Yes. There's a promise of God that's not quoted very much. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, right? And he's suffering persecution by the hand of who? His boss and his boss's wife. Are you in a toxic work environment? Joseph was in a very toxic work environment. He was faithful to the Lord. And the Lord allowed for him to get falsely accused and thrown into prison. But Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was persecuted. Joseph was persecuted. You're in good company if you're persecuted in that manner, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And all of this is not above the plan of God. God's going to use this evil that's being done against Joseph with being sold as a slave, being falsely accused, to put Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt. 
But notice verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Are you being falsely accused? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Far out. (laughs) Prisoner taking care of prisoners. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph made a decision. He woke up in prison and he said, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep serving the Lord. The Lord is with me and I'm going to be faithful as a prisoner. How are you faithful as a prisoner? Right? It's like, okay, I'm going to clean up the vomit under the Lord. Right? I'm going to eat this bread and water under the Lord. I mean, this is tough stuff that he's doing, and he's doing it unto the Lord. Do you feel like a slave? Do you feel like a prisoner? Do it unto the Lord. And we have a choice to make in the midst of our circumstances to either give up or buck up. To say, this is where God's placed me, right or wrong or indifferent. This is where I am. And I'm going to do my best under the Lord. And as we do our best under the Lord, look at the favor that God can pour out. Look at how God can work in this situation. And God's going to do that in Joseph's life. So tonight, let's celebrate redemption. Let's celebrate redemption. If you find yourself in a place of sexual sin, wrestling with, can God forgive me? Yes, he can. The scarlet thread leading to the blood of Jesus Christ The blood of Jesus pays for all sin. And as you turn your life to the Lord, as you turn it over to him and receive his grace and forgiveness and go your way and sin no more, Jesus forgives you and Jesus has the power to be able to transform your life. He is is the light of the world. So turn to him, turn to him and be honest with him and then flee sexual immorality. Get stuff off your phone that needs to go. Flee relationships. Be honest with believers. Men cry out to other godly men and say, hey, would you pray for me? Women call out to godly women and say, would you you pray for me? God is stirring in the midst of our generation to find Josephs and Josephinas. (laughs) Those that are willing to say, I'm gonna walk with the Lord. Joseph was in a place where sexual sin was the norm. And he chose and he said, I'm going to set myself apart to the Lord. So redemption in sexual sin. And I would encourage all of us as we live in this sexually charged culture to share this message of redemption with others. Do you know how many people are burdened down with sexual sin that don't believe that God loves them? That don't believe that God could set them free? We should be talking about sex. God's design for sex. Who else is telling the story of God's design? Everybody's all confused and interpreting for them for themselves. And God's like, I got a really good design. So we should be sharing God's story of redemption and bringing us from sexual sin into sexual integrity. And then also seeing God redeem circumstances. I bet that some of you tonight find yourself in some really difficult circumstances. Joseph knows. Joseph understands. And the Lord is with you. And in time, he's going to redeem those circumstances. Just keep going. Do the next thing. Be faithful unto the Lord. Maybe you go, man, I, I haven't responded quite like Joseph has. Well, come to the Lord tonight. Receive his forgiveness, receive his refreshment, and then determine as you head back into those circumstances to say, Lord, I'm just going to be faithful. Yes, I'm going to be faithful as a prisoner. Yes, I'm going to be faithful as a slave and watch the Lord work. But this is what I want you to hear. Don't hear the voice of condemnation. Hear the voice of redemption. Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. And tonight, we get to come and celebrate his grace and really take in the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, and thank him for his grace in our lives. There is no way that this craziness with Judah and Tamar should have led to Jesus. If we were putting together the genealogy of God in human flesh, we would not have used this, right? 
But this is exactly what God chose. This is what exactly what God ordained because he says, I love sinners. I sent my son to die for sinners. I sent my son to save harlots. I sent my son to save prostitutes. I sent my son for those that knew they needed a savior. And that savior is so powerful that he can forgive us and then take us out of the pit and take us out of the miry clay and transform and change, change our lives. That's good news. So let's stand together and let's pray and let's enter into communion and celebrate redemption tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your grace in all areas of our lives that you would give your son, that this scarlet thread would lead us to the cross where you, Jesus, died for all sin. And I pray for those tonight that don't know your forgiveness, that don't know you as their savior. Lord, and there's an area of their life where they're wondering, could God really love me? And that they would see that you do love them and that you died for them. Lord, for those that are in a place with wrestling with sexual sin or receiving your forgiveness for past sexual sin, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would meet them and that you would set them free. And God, we admit that we cannot do this on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you baptize us afresh in the Holy Spirit? God, I pray over every marriage that you would bless that marriage by your grace, that you would bless their intimacy, Lord, that you would bless their fellowship in Christ and their friendship and protect them, protect their sexual integrity. Lord, I pray for everyone that's single, Lord, that you would, would bless them, bless them in the way that you blessed Joseph and give them the fear of the Lord and such a close relationship with you. And we do pray that, Lord, you would just raise them up to shine bright in this lost and dying world. Lord, we do pray for redemption. Our culture and society is, is looking to sex to try to find fulfillment and meaning. And there's so many people that are empty, that are lost. And Lord, may they be rescued with your love, just like the woman at the well. So Lord, would your redemption, would your grace just flow tonight from your communion table? Lord, we pray for and believe your redemption in the circumstances that we go through. We pray over difficult work situations, difficult daily environments, difficult home environments. Lord, you are with us in those places. Give us strength. Would you redeem those spaces, God? Would you allow us to be faithful right where we're at? And so, Lord, we love you. Would you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.